welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. It's our pleasure today to introduce Chris Britton, who's uh, our head teacher star from a special school and the BBC documentary fame. I bet you're fed up with that one, aren't you, Chris? Um, Chris has worked at every level, and apologies for reading this because there's a whole list here, of every level and every sector of the education system. So working in head of school improvement in a local authority, a head of a large urban primary school, part of a team at the Welsh Government as professional advisor, um, and you're now head teacher of one of the largest special schools in the UK with 300 staff. He led on the building of this 43 million pound state-of-the-art learning community and uh, the school recently featured, as I'm sure you're aware, in the BBC documentary and he was just telling me all about all of his fans that he has, so I'm sure there's a few of them on this evening. Please join me and hand over and welcome to Chris. Over to you, Chris. Thanks for that, Georgie. Um, Thanks for turning up. Yeah, fan club, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, um, lots of people come up to me and said, uh, my mum saw you on the telly. She thinks you're amazing. She really likes you. Some said, my mum fancies you. She wants to marry you. Turns out they're all in their 80s and 90s. So that's my fan base. So, um, but I'm not seeing that kind of fan base here. So so that's quite a relief. So um, I thought I'd just tell you a story. That's probably the best way to go through things. And then if you want to pop up questions in the chat, you can ask me anything. I don't mind, okay, um, and we might just cut out at every now and again and just answer some questions because it might be more relevant then or we might just push on to the bitter end as it were. Funny, I started this evening before I came up here uh, and I'll probably finish talking about this as well a little bit is um, this term we've lost two pupils and um, most people I guess in schools will never lose a pupil in their careers, you know, but when you do it's pretty, it's pretty tough um, and this year we've lost two and um, we give it a few months, then we invite the parents in and the family to come in and we've got a, a beautiful water feature, it's like an orb, and we lay stones there with the child's name on it, with the, and we ask the family to lay stones, and it's a beautiful reflection area where they can sit to remember their children. Um, and so um, one of our young people who, who passed away recently, um, oh, you've got to get over yourself in this job, his favourite artist is Justin Bieber, the song Sorry. And so it was thought to be a good idea if we all danced to that and we were filmed and then that could be shown tomorrow as a memorial service. So I started this evening just having a quick look at the team and tragically me dancing. And you're looking at me and thinking, that guy can't show throw any good shapes on a dance floor. He doesn't look like a Justin Bieber fan either, you know. Black Sabbath, they're not. But there we are. Anyway, so that's the range. So we'll start. Um, I had a fairly normal career, I guess, fairly fairly um, serendipitous. I just blundered a lot, all sorts of different things. I was a primary head and did a bit of work in government and then was looking for a new challenge and a school came up and it was a special school. And uh, I've always thought, well, you know, you get told, don't you, but what you can't do, and I'll keep coming back to that, you can't be a primary head and a special head and a secondary head. And I'm thinking, I don't see why not. We've got a common inspection framework. Everyone gets inspected the same way. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to give this a go. So 
so I applied for this applied for this job in this school and I thought it was going to be one thing and it was a school for autistic pupils and they had been it had been a school for the hearing impaired a residential school for the hearing impaired so um, I get this job and I rock up to this school knowing very little okay about additional learning needs so I'm going to say that put that up there but I knew I thought a lot about leadership and management and it was probably the most unsafe worst school I'd ever been in I think I can say that it was the curriculum wasn't safe the children weren't safe the staff definitely weren't safe after, after my interview one of the governors the first thing you'll do is you'll reduce the unacceptably high level of injuries to your staff you know, that's quite a shocking thing to be told isn't it when you've just got a job and so I, I go in and we're seeing staff weekly if not daily going to hospital injured okay big meltdowns from kids and all this so I spend my first five days in the school just walking around looking thinking and then I go to my first assembly and I'm stood with a fantastic speech and language therapist and I'll come back to therapists and Nikki said to me and we watched this assembly and it was it was a crazy place honestly there were kids running around kids being restrained Woohoo! that song on the on the sounds there was a video playing nobody could see there was someone at the front no one could hear and she said it's bedlam isn't it and she said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I can't make it any worse. So let's have a go. So that's kind of where we started. Um, and then I got sort of talking and I got one of the guys there who, you've, if you've seen the series, Ben, he's still with us. Um, you know, I'm really proud. He's, he was an LSA then. He's become one of the first teachers through the, um, the graduate teacher route in Wales to, become a, to get a, become a teacher in a special school. So that was really good. And he's still with us. And he started to make some films and he started to do something called the creative curriculum where we thought we could engage people. So we start there. And then, then I employ an incredible occupational therapist. And, and um, that was a game changer. It was a game changer for all of us because all these children who are rocking and stimming and spinning and running and wouldn't line up and kept moving and wobbling and everything, you find out you can treat them. And you find out actually, I've realized now there's lots of children like that in mainstream and actually we and that's another thing we're doing now we're helping all of those children and those teachers and those staff but we suddenly found when we started to work with SOT things started to to really change so that that was amazing we started to see kids calming down and we started to talk about things like if you need a communication aid you need it everywhere you know we don't just talk classrooms as teachers do we we talk in corridors we talk on yards so if a child needs a communication aid you know they needed everywhere and we started to look at that whole this thing around communication and, and central integration integration of kids and and so that's where we began and then pretty soon um the director says uh, i'm going to shut your school and shut two other special schools we've got substantive special heads in them uh and we're going to make one big school in about four years time and you kind of think well that's great news isn't it i've got to be the underdog on this one you know they've all been in special for ages but they decided to give way, they decided to retire, and so we built this place, um, a scholar and we brought in um, three schools. One was um, for autistic pupils, one was for profound and multiple and medical needs, and one was for moderate learning difficulties. And you couldn't have had three different cultures. You just couldn't, you know. The autistic school uh, was really starting to come down the direction I wanted it to come. The moderate learning difficulty school at that time was didn't have great expectations for the pupils and, and the, the PMLD school just wanted to look after them and, and just sort of say, oh, yeah, yeah, bit of all bless, really. So we brought these three cultures together and I, I will say it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. It nearly finished me off. Um, but we got here. 
we did all that thing around people and i'll talk a bit more about people we talked about you know this idea that when you change you want to continue being good at the old right thing because you're frightened of being not so good at the new sorry you want to be good at the old wrong thing and you're not so good at this new right thing so there's that fear thing and that's the real fear of change and we have to acknowledge that and empathize with that and give people the opportunities to learn and and uh, and and it's really been apparent to me you know, th as we've gone through this this pandemic um just how blended this school is and 300 people regard themselves as a family and they regard themselves as supporting they regard themselves as one um which, which is which has been quite a quite a thing really for all of us for the staff for the leadership team for everybody um and we've done that by by talking about people and i'm going to talk about people because it's you guys as well you know it's all of us and, and i talk about this idea of me us that's the teachers and leadership and them the pupils so um i don't put the pupils first so i'll just put that out there and give you some shock horror okay i don't put the pupils first okay they're up there but first comes um me about my thinking, about my visioning, about my behaviours, about my authenticity, about my walking, this talk that I say and that I talk about, that uh, I show people that I believe. So whereas we all have responsibilities, we have this flattened structure across the school. If you come into this school, there are 300 people on photos on boards and you'll find me down on the bottom right somewhere next to the school dog. Um, you know, there's this whole thing about who's important, what works in a school, and if you think about if everybody's important, then I've got to treat everybody as important. And so when I come in in the morning, I sometimes see people I rarely see, usually a cleaner, usually it's early, uh, and you don't see them often because they're about, you know, it's a huge building. And I always make the effort to greet them, just say something to them, just don't just pass them with my head down because they may only see me once a month. And if I pass them with my head down, they'll go to the rest of the team. Ah, Chris Britton, he's a grumpy bastard, isn't he? He's a real grumpy git, you know? Uh, and that because that's all their contact with me but actually if i spend a bit of time you get that chris Britt, what a lovely man he stopped to talk to me this morning he didn't need to on his way in so it's, it's about it's about relationships and culture and it's going to be about i'm talking about that it's about that with pupils as well and children and the kids at the school so we've got to think about what's important so if the cleaners don't come in and i don't come in what happens well if the cleaners don't come in the school shuts and if I don't come in, the school stays open. So I talk to heads a lot about this. Someone somewhere's got to get over themselves, right? And it's usually going to have to be me. Right? So as important as I am, other people are just as, if not more than important. We've all got a part to play. And I, I talk a lot about, and, and I'll come back now then. So that's the me. And then there's the us. There's, there, there's all of our, our teachers and our support staff and our admin staff and everybody else. And those are the people who engage with the pupils because I don't, you know, I rarely engage with pupils. I do, but but this is a massive organization. So I have to think about that. So so what do we do about that? Well, the analogy I always use is, is, is that of a record player. So and a friend who I was going to say back in the day, but kind of vinyl's back now, isn't it? So that's all cool. Um, but he had this, um, he, he was an audiophile properly. I mean, he spent 20 grand or so on this system. And this was, this was 25 years ago, probably, maybe 30, I don't know. Uh, and so, uh, and, and he absolutely loved it. And it was beautiful. And the sound was beautiful. And I said, crikey, Frank, I said, you must spend a fortune on those speakers. And he said, no, Chris, he said, he spent, he, he said, I, I spent 7,000 pounds on the needle. 
And I just looked at him. He said, because if at the point of contact, it's rubbish, it's going to be rubbish all the rest of the way through. And I think about that, about my staff, because they're the needle and the kids are the record and you want the music to be amazing, don't you? And if I want to have a fantastic school, because the way... The way I have a fantastic school is getting fantastic outcomes for pupils. And the way I get fantastic outcomes for pupils is having fantastic staff who are in a really good place and their well-being is looked after. And they, they really, really are keen to be in work. And this is a place they can work in and feel happy in and supported in. And then we get the outcomes that we want. And then I get a great school. So that could be me just being selfish. But actually, that's the... That's the, that, that's the talk I walk every with people. So, so it's that strong belief in those people to do that. So what do we, what do, we do then? So, so this is a school um, which is slightly unique in that its range is from three to 19. Now that's not unique, that's quite common in special schools and it's barely getting more common in mainstream with, as we see through schools. But what is unique is that the range of abilities goes from um, Roots for Learning, so pre, very low P levels, pre-national curriculum, pre-reception, all the way to a star A level, all in one school. And that's the range that we cope with and that's the range we look at. And then we have this range of need, and I'm going to stay away from disability. We've got a range of differently able pupils, okay, who are could be anything from autistic to have profound and multiple learning difficulties, to be life-limiting, to have social, emotional, mental health uh, issues, all of those things, SLD, severe learning difficulties, moderate learning difficulties, if such a thing even exists anymore, which I'm, I'm not sure it does. And all of them are here. All of them are here with us, okay? And we are working with all these pupils and, and, and working on their outcomes. So there's this massive range. And, and what it's begun to strike me is that it's no different in some ways to being in a mainstream school. We've got a curriculum, okay, and we have assessment. And it's the same curriculum as many of you use, but we adapt it and we bring it down or we create it for stage. So we've got 14 year olds who need the foundation phase. So we just adapt a foundation phase approach, but we put in all the, all the age appropriate activities for those pupils. So, so, so from that point of view, and I'm trying to promote here special schools. So some of you may be converted, some of you may be thinking about it, but actually it's a safe place to come to. Okay, you can be good the old things because we still got a curriculum and we still do assessment we just do different assessments and we move the curriculum around so so that that, that, that that's that's a really important thing um to think about the other thing i think about a lot is we used to talk about and, and simon baron cohen um who's one of the greats of autism used to talk about and still does i think the triad of impairment and actually i've moved that triad of impairment because i think there's a common triad of impairment to all of our pupils and actually for many, many pupils in mainstream. And that triad of impairment is communication and it's sensory integration and it's social, emotional and mental health needs, okay? And we have to get those three things right. And if we don't get those three things right, then uh, a teacher and support staff are a waste of money. So we've got to have these pupils in this, what we call, in this school, you'll hear this expression of calm alert states and ready to learn. So you're in this state where, you know, as I am now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not up here somewhere. I'm not low and lethargic. I'm just in the right place to be learning and talking and communicating. And um, so we use communication and we use uh, occupational therapy and we use a range of other therapies as well. And we use a whole range of interventions to support those pupils. 
but we have something called Launchpad. And that's been replicated in some mainstream schools. So Launchpad um, is a group or a team who are pupil led. So they'll do whatever it takes to engage these pupils. It'll take whatever it takes to make them interested. But more than that, it's what gives them back their self-esteem and their confidence. So many of these pupils, so many pupils with additional learning needs, so many pupils in mainstream schools who've got social, emotional, mental health needs have lost all confidence, you know? They've lost their mojos really. So this team tries to give it back. It does whatever it takes. So we might be using, um, um, we might be using a DS because they like Nintendo. So they like, they like, you know, they like, no, not Sonic, that was years ago, wasn't it? But Super Mario, there we are, get up to speed, Chris. So they like Super Mario. So we might do a bit of Super Mario or Lego or fine art or stop frame animation or a drone or a radio controlled car or just some, some um, resistance, some woodwork, anything really, whatever the kids are interested in, they work with this team and they get used to building their confidence and they're gradually returned back and sometimes forward to classes because that's their safe space. And so we do all of that to help these children regulate. We've got so many pupils whose sensory issues are so great that they you can touch them here and they think you've touched them on their side and at the back and the OTs will tell you that. Imagine that. Imagine that you are so badly wired that that's how you perceive things and how you feel things. And we can work around that with the pupils and we can start to develop them and start to reteach them their sensory integration. We can make sure they can communicate. So I think back in that first school, we had constant meltdowns. Sometimes there'd be five staff restraining a pupil. You won't see restraint here anymore. But at that point, those children were not able to communicate. So that's frustrating. They weren't social, they weren't in their right sensory place, so they were hurting. Okay. And they weren't good here, so that their, their mental health was, was all over the place. And I, 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 if you've listened to the series, but I'll say it again because I think it's worth saying. So, so, and I've done this with some head teachers. I could do it with you if we have more time, but if I made you sit right on the edge of your chair, really right off it, so you're barely on it, okay? And so you're barely supported by it. And I'll just leave you there for five or 10 minutes. You're not allowed to move, okay? And then we'll, um, we'll ask you to uh, get your phone out, okay? Put some music on, anything you like, it doesn't matter. Just chuck it on or put it on, put it on loud as well, you know? And now I want you to think about the, the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Get yourself really down, get yourself really fed up, okay? Get right in that space, okay? And now you're in that space and you're ready, we'll do a lesson. It'll be A-level maths and it'll be in Mandarin. And that's what it's like for many pupils in schools, in special schools and for some in mainstream. That's what it's like. That's their perception of what's going on. They're hurting, they don't understand, okay? And they're, they're, they're sad or they've got a lot of toxic stress and a lot going on outside. Not all pupils, you know, lots of fine and regulated, but they'll be in every school and they'll be in every class. And we know that, okay? We know that. The, the prison population is massively overrepresented in terms of having a functional language difficulty. Probably three in every 30 kids has got a functional language difficulty, maybe more, and they're in our classes, you know. There'll be, there'll be children in every class who, they won't line up. You know, those kids who don't like lining up. And you'll find out actually one day, if you put them at the end, they'll line up. Because the lining up is to do with, they can't stand the feeling of people behind them. So they'll go and stand at the back. Okay, and that will work for them. And I'll give you this whole range of sensory seeking avoiding behaviors we see in mainstream that we can we, we can actually cure. You know, there's kids who, so, so I'm, you know, I'm fiddling with a pen here. Okay, all right. Now in a secondary class back in the day, I've been told to put my pen down, put my hands on the desk, sit up straight and listen and pay attention to the teacher. Okay, 
But this is this is helps me concentrate. So I'm playing with this pen subconsciously. Some of you might be doodling, okay? Some of you might be just watching the England game, you know, on another screen, you know, because it's helping you concentrate, you know. And a couple of wry grins in the room there, you know. But anyway, so so so, but we we are sometimes locked into this idea that if the children aren't facing us and paying attention, and you know, or if they're not facing, they're not paying attention. And you've got to get over that in a special school. I was taking a, a maths lesson, and one of the kids, he wouldn't stay in there. He went, he went in the breakout room next door and got under the table. And I thought, I'm just going to let him go on. You know, I'm just going to let him go on. And so I'm doing this lesson. I ask some questions, and from under the table come the answers. You know, so again, you know, as we go around in the special school, it's really, really different. And I'll come to more of the differences in a minute. Um, so. The relationships are slightly difficult, different, not difficult. Um, so um, parents will often refer to teachers by their first names. That's unusual for people. And parents refer to me by my first name. I don't see any lack of respect from that at all. It's not an issue for me. Um, parents I need to have a very close relationship with and I have to be very supportive, uh, as do my entire team, because they in some ways are the people who need as much support as the pupils. Um, so that's different in a special school. I look at these parents and they they astonish and they humble me and they gently humble me. I, honestly, I can get tearful about it. It's just they 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 all have the Mandela syndrome. The struggle is life. Every one of them. They've struggled for everything their child needs. I've had to fight for six months to get a bed so a child can be comfortable at night. What's that about? What's that about in a Western society? You know, um, you know, I see so many children struggling to get the help they need, to get the therapies they need and everything else. So, so we've got to be really, really working closely with these parents. Um, they're going through an awful lot. I, I, the, the, the homeschool diary came in from a parent from over Christmas. The child was very, very challenging autism. Uh, he had an impacted bowel. That means that his bowel leaks and excuse me if you're eating your tea while you're listening but it's um but he's got to use a toilet maybe three four five times a day and his autism was such that he could only use one toilet once in a day okay so that one at home could only be used once and her christmas day was spent just she and her boy looking for open public toilets for him that was her christmas day and that's what some of our parents deal with so we've got to be really tuned into that and really really in a special school cognizant of that and, and and be a part of their lives in a way sometimes I, I wasn't in a mainstream school in a mainstream school I could stand on the gate we were a community school I could see all the parents and they'd all come and tell me all their problems on the way in you know what it's like and then you could solve it at the gate all our people's come in on transports barely see a parent I've seen more parents this year through Zoom than I've seen in 10 years in a special school, bizarrely, and so our staff. But, you know, that's the, that's the difference. The other difference for the parents is once they come to us, the school stops phoning them five times a day and telling them what their child's been doing recently. And there's no blame attached to that. I've been head of a mainstream primary, a big primary. I know the disruption a child with severe special needs can cause. And once they come to us, that's what we're here for. We're to meet their needs. And so when we work here, you'll see that there are smaller classes and there are a lot more staff. So come, um, come September, we'll have 380 pupils on site in a school built for 205, unbelievably. Um, and this last um, six weeks, we've appointed two heads of department, 12 new teachers, and we're just completing the appointment of 55 new support staff, new, dropping them in in September. That's how many we got coming in. We're opening seven new classes. Um, 
The need is unbelievable. The demands are incredible. 60 new starters in, in September and trying to see those in the middle of a pandemic where we normally visit their houses, their schools, we normally have them in for the therapist to see, we normally have them in for a day, is really, really, really tricky. So um, yeah, so that's, a, that's another difference there. Okay, so we're a lot closer to our parents and we work a lot more closely with them. Um, everybody who works here works in a team. And so it wouldn't be unusual. Probably the smallest teams are four. So there'll be a teacher uh, a higher level teaching assistant or a level four LSA um, who will be the lead and then uh, usually at least two LSAs in with that, that class. Our biggest classes are around 12 or 13. Our smallest high needs, we've got one of five here, but that will actually have more staff in it. That will have one-to-one -one staff in that one um, just to support the pupils. So, so that's the next thing you notice that's really, really different when you come to a special school. Loads more people. I remember... Um, I um, turned up for the first day and, and, and I thought it was massive at the ASD school and, and I walked into the hall and I said, well, I didn't walk in, I stood by the door, crikey, so many people. It was a hundred staff and I thought that was loads, you know, and now I just think, well, hundred would be great, you know, <laughs> so much easier. So, so yeah, there's lots and lots of staff that you'll see here. Um, the emotional load is really heavy. I've taught you about losing pupils. Um, but you'll also be working with pupils you can't fix. They've got life-limiting illnesses and they're going to die in the time that they're with us. You know, no question. Um, that's the truth. That's our, that's our truth. That's what we walk. Um, so that can be really hard, you know, extraordinarily hard. You know, no, no, nobody trained me as a head teacher to come into work one morning to find a father waiting for me at 8.15 to tell me his son died suddenly overnight. Could I tell the staff? You know, no one trains you for that. And so we have to have really good systems to support you in school so and to support each other. And we have counsellors available to us. We have counsellors on site. Our therapists would work with us as adults if we needed them to. And we have we have a lot of training around our, 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 our staff, around first aid, mental health people, all those sorts of things, um, because it is a heavy, heavy emotional load. And, and it's the one thing sometimes that can can leave you drained you know energy is one thing emotional energy is quite another and it takes quite a long time to pump it back in uh, and you've got to be able to take it on the chin sometimes and pick your battles and I know everyone has to pick your battles but you've really got to pick your battles you know you really have um it, it's some of the kids will particularly those with trauma and things once they trust you the most they'll give you everything they got they'll just give you the lot the full twin barrels, you know, they'll call you an F in fat C and all that sort of stuff, you know, and what you say in response will determine the future of that child in your relationship with them forever. Okay. And you need to, so what we work on here and we work our teams with is that as, as a, as a, as a profession, we spent too long watching behavior and not enough listening to behavior. Because whatever those kids do, they're telling you something. I'll tell you now for nothing. No kid kicks off or triggers for no reason at all. No kid ever has done that. So if someone tells you he kicked off for no reason, that is just not true. They kick off for a reason. They let go for a reason. And we might not even see what it is. I've got to, I'll tell you a quick story. It's a fabulous kid. He loves barges. 
you know, canal barges loved it. He could tell you, he could tell the details of every canal in the country nearly. He could tell you how long the tunnels are, what order they come in, what, what barges go, what it's famous for, everything. So we, we get this opportunity to go on a barge trip. They were perfect. But I'm going on this one. This is my trip, you know. So I joined the team and we go off to this canal barge and um, he won't get on the barge. And he's hysterical. He won't get on the barge. I can't, can't drag him on. Can't he? Just won't get on the barge. Can't be persuaded. Nothing. Won't get on the barge. So I spend the barge trip three hours sat in the bank with him and one of the support staff. You know that was our barge trip. Nothing on the bank. Not even a shop to get a coffee. What fun was that? Anyway, when the barge came back and he couldn't tell us why he couldn't come on. He's verbal, but you know, um, I just thought, oh, there it is. On the top of the barge was the tiniest tannoy speaker, and he's terrified of tannoys and loudspeaker systems. And he'd seen it and none of us had seen it. And it just happens again and again with these young people. You know, they trigger for reasons. And once we know their triggers and we can work with their triggers, and once we know that they're in that calm alert state because they can communicate better with us and their central integration is good and they're feeling good about themselves, all those behaviors disappear. And then it becomes this incredible happy place. And, and when we walk around and I have local authority officers walk around and they say to me, why, why are all these kids here, Chris? You know, why aren't they in mainstream? Well, the reason not mainstream is because they're here, because all that provision is there for them that can't be met in mainstream. And that then brings them back to a point where you think, well, they should be in mainstream, but you, you can't do all that in mainstream. You haven't got all those therapists on site, all those people, all those MDTs, all those people around it. So, so what else do you need to be to come to a special school and be successful? So, so most of us started in mainstream. That's the first thing to say, okay? Very few of the team here had died in the world special and did special education as their um, B.Ed., PGCT, whatever route it was. OK, so, so that's the first thing. Um, I had a fabulous, fabulous um, assistant head who worked with me. She's passed away now when I first came into the system and she taught me so. And she and, and we were really short of teachers. The school was so bad that you couldn't get teachers. Teachers would arrive and agency staff would arrive and they'd leave at lunchtime. And not come back they just wouldn't come back they just were you know it was just too dangerous and too difficult and so she said she said to me look she said if, if we if we want to get this place moving she said find me some great teachers and some great support staff with a really positive mindset and a can-do attitude and i'll teach them about the additional learning needs and she said and you get the other bits sorted around the regulation and everything and she said i think we'll be able to do it and i've stuck with that so when we've advertised recently we've gone out to advert uh, and we're appointing uh, mainstream teachers, um, mainstream LSAs are coming in because the right people, and there's a great book by Collins um, called Good to Great, and he talks about having the right people on the bus. And when the right people get on the bus, it goes somewhere amazing. Okay, so we just got to get the right people on. Okay, and the right people are those that are bright eyed, bushy tails. Gervais Finn talks about the smiling eyes of the teacher. And I said that the smiling eyes of the person in the classroom, teacher, LSA, receptionist, smiling eyes, you know it when you walk in, you know these people love being there. They love what they're doing. You know, you know you've got them. If I could bottle that, it'd be amazing. But those are the people you want. Those are the people you want walking around with you. Those are the people you want teaching the kids and working with the kids and, and, and delivering for the kids. So, so that's the thing I think that we, we're, we're mainly looking for and we mainly want. Um, the... The, the other thing, I suppose, the, the, so, so I've said all that and how wonderful it is and beautiful and it is beautiful and it is a wonderful place to work. And, and, and I, I don't ever, I, I'm too old now, I think uh, they probably wouldn't have me, but I don't want to go back to mainstream. I'll stay doing this now. 
I was going to just build this school and take it easy, but well, you, as you see, we're building another school to take the numbers of kids now. So we're building a primary school offsite, and then we're building a new provision for a PIU for trauma, sort of relational based approaches to those. So we've got a bit to do, but I wouldn't go back to mainstream, but I've got to say that this hasn't been for everyone and it hasn't. Okay. And there's no shame in saying it's not for you. Um, we've had teachers who, you know, autistic pupils don't often give you much feedback. Or if they do, it's not the feedback you were looking for, you know. Um, but, you know, often you won't get any feedback from them. You know, you've got to look and notice what it is that you've done right. And you've got to celebrate tiny steps. You've got to realise that some of our pupils will barely make progress. You know, you've got to know that some of those pupils are terribly, terribly ill. You know, and are you OK with that? Can you cope with that? Um, you know, we, we, we've done a lot of work on technology and, and, and particularly in terms of eye gaze and it's unlocking technology. And we had a 16 year old. So, so I started working with Lisa, who's the AT, the assistive technology guru in the school. And we got this eye gazing and it was incredible. And we were working with a 16 year old who would have been assessed around P1, really, really low. And this eye, we, Lisa, it's not easy to do, but she got her to understand the eye gaze and how it worked. And we assessed her within a month of pH. That's a huge, this girl could communicate. This girl could choose the music she wanted, choose films she wanted to watch. She was in the room with us, but nobody knew for 16 years. Nobody knew. And you can think that's a miracle, but I also think it's a tragedy. And, and then... And then I get into sort of talking to Lisa and she says, we need some more of these. And I said, well, can't they share them because they're eight grand a pop, you know? And she said, well, can you share your glasses, Chris? And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So then, so then we start this work and then, so we've got all this adaptive and this assistive technology, which lets the kids access things. And all this, all these changes and all these interventions, many, much of it has come from support staff, not from me. I didn't drive all this, okay? I've got these right people on the bus and they're driving it somewhere great and they're all driving together and people come up with amazing ideas. Just recently, so we were sitting here and this guy Aaron comes in and he's a bit, he, he, you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's an acquired taste sometimes, okay? But he's a great guy, you know? First day he met me, he was my best friend and I'm thinking, oh, I don't even know you, but okay, that's fine, I'll roll with this. And he said, look at this, Chris, look at this, look at this, look at this. And he's got, watch this YouTube video. And there's a, there's a young girl, a teenage girl with cerebral palsy, okay? And she's typically cerebral palsy, right? Controlled, slow moving and everything. And then she gets onto her PlayStation with the driving wheel playing a driving game. And there's a change in her. There's a change in her rigidity. There's a change in her emotion ability. There's a whole change in her demeanor doing it. He said, so what do you think, boss? And I thought, I know what's coming. I said, yeah, okay, go on in. Let's get a PlayStation and let's get a drive steering wheel. I said, what do you need? He said, well, eventually we'll probably need a really nice gaming seat. You know, I'm saying for you or for the kids, you know, but he said, and maybe some pedals. So we get a PlayStation, we get a steering wheel and we get um, um, some pedals. And I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. The, this one of the child, Yayan, is typically, you know, to speak, he's got to, oh, you know, all physical effort just to speak, just to gather up everything he can do it, you know. And he's on a PlayStation like this, making these tiny adjustments and steering his car. And he's using the pedals now as well. So amazing things happen, you know, and that's not very orthodox. You know? It's not orthodox at all, actually. But that's the kind of place we've got here. And that's the kind of place I'd like all schools to be, really, where you go for the art of the possible and you think about what might happen and what kids might do. And then, yeah, be good.
So that's 36 minutes of me compressing things a little bit. And I don't know whether we want to, if we open up to some questions, I'll probably cover off anything you like that you want to know or ask or, you know, um, oh, the pay's better as well. I forgot I should say that right at the end. Okay. So all the teachers get an SEN allowance and so do all the support staff. And we also pay support staff at a higher rate than the main students. Okay. So as my caretaker once said to me, I said, that's a lovely job you did there, Hayden. He said, Mm, but it doesn't put steak on the table, does it, Chris? You know, so we can put a bit of steak on the tables anyway. Pay a we pay a bit better in special schools generally as well. Okay, so I'll just throw that in at the end. But that's not the most important thing, is it? You know, we we do it for for everything else. Okay, so Georgie, anything? Any questions? Yeah. I'm even looking at that, so you can. No, you that's ask a, absolutely. We've we've definitely got a few questions here, but I'm sure everybody would love to work for you. Um, you're just so inspiring and uh, the stories that you share as well are really, really quite powerful. Um, but I can only imagine working in a special school that other other colleagues on, on this call also have similar stories, but haven't been able to sort of have the support and the strategy that you've given your team. So um, huge, huge you know, thank you and what you're doing for the education and driving that message forward. There's one of um, my colleagues in that well. She's in the room, but she's gone elsewhere now. She's gone on to greater things, Ellie has. So she's been oh. fun. She has anything in the chat, so that's a load of rubbish. Like <laughs> <So>. <laughs> bless you, bless you. Um, <laughs> Gavin, you've asked a question. Gavin, do you want to um, take your uh, microphone off mute and ask the question, or I can share for you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share. Um, we're very fortunate that we stole Ellie. I work in the same school as Ellie, so yeah, yeah, and we're on a similar journey to Ellie. Oh. oh, brilliant. Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, my question was after working in a special school, Chris, could you ever imagine yourself going back into mainstream? I know I've been in a special school now for about 10, well, no, 13 years, and I couldn't, couldn't imagine going back into mainstream. I, I did I did at one point want to, because um, I'm a bit bloody-minded about things, really, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll go and lead a secondary school. Because trust, I just think it's not that hard, you know. Sorry if there's secondary colleagues or even secondary heads in here, but I remember, I remember once um, uh, an assistant director because I was I was a head of school improvement, and we get some real grief from secondary heads. And he said, if it helps, he said, when they're giving you a load of grief, he said, imagine that you can teach twelve subjects to national uh, to GCSE level, and they can only teach one, and the one who's giving you the most grief is a Spanish teacher. He said, see if that helps. And I'm not deriding Spanish teachers in any way. But I decided then, that, so I did, have, I did think about this, a few big secondaries came up and, um, but you know what, I think I'm, I'm, I'm 59 now, so I haven't got a long left in me really. And I think that I'd like to spend the rest of my time with people around me who are brilliant. And I'm not saying they're not brilliant in mainstream, but they've been brilliant for me and, and they've looked after me and had my back and I've had theirs. And I think actually I'll just stay here now. Um, but there's no reason why you can't, you. can't do it. Just comes a question of what you like. But I like this. I like the fight. I like the struggle with the parents. I like dishing it out to Welsh Government when I can, you know. Um, so, yeah, I like fighting. I like fighting for the underdogs, you know, because why is it so hard? My kids just do some A-levels, have some money, go to university. Crikey. You know, it, it took us... It took us nine months and three grant applications to get a wheelchair for a kid that was life-changing, but the chair was £27,000. What's that about? It's a car. Yeah. But yeah, so, so Gavin, no, I think I will stay. 
And I think I think you Thank would you. be hugely lost there if you left, Chris. So, uh, no, absolutely. Well, I told them I'm going, Georgie. So they've got to start getting used to it. I've got <laughs> three years to think about it. So. Make, come, come Someone said that they need to uh, down here. Rachel said, "Can we clone him?" Rachel John said, "We need more leaders like Chris." Chris. Well, you just need people who. Michael Fulham once said, he said, love your staff, you know, and I tried to say that at the beginning that, you, you, you know, you guys and the people around you and your teams and everybody, they're, they're what, 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 why wouldn't you do it? If we think about football that's playing now, okay, um, or let's take, let's take Alan Wynne-Jones, he's had a bad shoulder injury, okay, he might not play for the rest of the tour, but he'll get every MRI scan, everything he needs to do, everything they can to get him back together, okay? Those football teams look after their, look after their players. So if I spend 90-odd percent of my budget on people, why wouldn't I be nice to them? Why wouldn't I look after them? Why wouldn't I let... Right, and I'm going to be... I, I, I'm old, okay? So you're all going to have to forgive me, okay? But if I, if I let a young mother go to her child's first day in school, okay? What, what you, you know, what did that cost me? I had to look after our first day kids for, for 10 minutes or so. They'll be in 10, 15 minutes. But what did it mean to that person? Life doesn't happen in school holidays, tragically. So if I get one of the guys comes up to me, said, look, I'm best man at my best friend's wedding. We've been best friend for 20 years. And the stag weekends in Ibiza, they're all going Friday, but it's okay, I'm gonna go Saturday. Oh. There's no, there's nothing at the authority that says I can sign him off to go, but you've got to go with you, you've got to look after people, parents evenings, parents get sick, cars break down, you know, what is it with some heads who have the power over omnipotent personalised power thing, I mean, I mean, like I said to you right at the start, this great school, this lovely school comes from these people, these lovely people, so why would I be horrible to them and change all that, like, you know, I know heads who say, oh, it's a nightmare in school. The staff are terrible and da da da. And I just think, well, you you did all that on your own. Don't come and moan to me about it. You know, why can't we be kind to each other as heads? And you know, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't think you need to clone me, really. We just need to get the right. We need to get the system to take some pressure off mainstream as well. It's too much high stakes accountability. It's too much. You've got to get the kids to that sausage machine. You know, if you are, oh, I'm going to start now. I, I should stop, Bree. But if you want to be an actor or an artist, okay, and for me, okay, the arts, the most important thing in our lives, gives us so much pleasure. Doesn't matter if it's Justin Bieber, okay? Doesn't matter if it's Black Sabbath. It doesn't matter if it's ballet or whatever it is. It, it's theatre. It's a it's a terrible film, you know, on Netflix. But the art they give us pleasure, okay? And and we value above that STEM subjects. The mathematicians, they're in the city. They brought us all to this this terrible economic collapse and everything else. And yet we still value that in every culture in the world. And the arts are taken away. And and in in Wales at the moment, you've got so many statutory subjects to do that if you want to be a singing, painting actor, you can't do it because the system doesn't let you. There's something really wrong with education, honestly. We should look at the destinies kids are going to, where do they want to be, and tailor their education and get them there. We should judge all schools on that. But that's fine. I'll get off that anyway. Sorry. I, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. On, on your soapbox, Chris, I love that. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I've got a question from Katie McGibbon. Katie, did you want to ask the question or would you like me to share that up? 
Yeah, no, it's fine. I'll ask it. It might be a bit of a divisive topic. Um, my question was, um, what are your thoughts on the development of SEND units in mainstream settings and can they work? Yeah, they definitely can. Um, so we've got, we've just opened um, uh, a SEND um, school resource base in the secondary school. Well, they've opened it with our support. We have, um, we need something between mainstream and um, us specialist setting. Okay, full on, full on specialist school. Um, it's too expensive to keep sending kids here. So it costs about 25,000 pounds a pop to send a child here. So every 40 kids that come in, I take a million pounds from the mainstream budgets because there's nowhere else to get it from. Okay, so, um, but we've got pupils here who could do really well in a school resource base that's really well managed and really well um, um, thought through. So that, that becomes the pupil's safe space. But as long as they're doing integration into mainstream, that whatever level's appropriate for them and in whichever classes are appropriate. So we're in a way, weirdly, a bit of a school resource base here because we're attached to a secondary school. So some of our brightest pupils, although they're very anxious about school, go next door to access A-levels and some GCSEs that we can't access. So, so I'm, I really am all for it. When I'm not all for it is when we put a school resource base into a mainstream school and we keep the children in it. And I think, well, what was the point of that then? Because why are they even in a, a mainstream school setting? Because all we've done is we've created the worst kind of exclusion you can imagine. Stand at the fence and look out there at all the things you can never have because you're in here. What does that say to those children, young people? So, yeah, I, I do think, you know, we've got lots of examples of really, really good, um, good units in mainstream schools, but they've got to be thought through and their purpose to be right and they have to be staffed appropriately. But I've seen outcomes for pupils in a number of ASD bases in particular around and we've got um, we've got a, um, a sort of not quite PMLD resource base in a primary school as well. Uh, and all those are working really well. So I've got I've got no problem with them. I don't think it's exclusive at all, but I just think they've got to be right. And we've got to be outcome driven. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Um, Nazia, uh, we've got some really good comments as well here. So um, she's saying very interesting, keen to know how we can continue to work together to support these learners. As an inclusion consultant, I don't believe that special schools go against the grain of inclusion, but in fact, we sometimes end up taking the time to prepare them more successfully in the world in adult life. Rachel was the, uh, mentioned about cloning you. Nikki uh, Barrand, as a mainstream head teacher, listening to you describe your school, it makes me so sad that I have so many high-level needs children, many of whom should be in special provision, not having access to the right provision to meet best needs. We do our best, but the children deserve so much better. All credit to you and your staff, Chris. So sometimes I think, I'll just come back on that, because um, I think Anita's in the room as well. Mm -hmm. And Anita uh, uh, runs a provision in Bangalore, okay? Uh, uh, and we work together a little bit now, but I think, and, and she asked about their karma that stays in schools. The real, the real thing around mainstream is, is that there are quite a few issues, and I'm not saying they're that, you know, your particular ones, but we've seen, we're seeing a, and there's no other word to describe it, a tsunami of young children now. They're, they're now coming through key stage, you know, foundation phase and heading towards key stage two. And they are causing havoc in schools. And they were diagnosed with ASD, but we're unpicking that. We're thinking that we've what we've really got is a lot of children with um, with attachment issues, 
and a lot of children with trauma issues. And um, if you're, uh, and so those children are definitely not calm alert because their needs aren't being met. And yet I read some reports on them that come to a panel from mainstream and I think, well, I understand that child and what I need to do. My, I've got an engagement service now who work across mainstream, We've got 450 pupils open to that service. Um, but what we try and do is look at those pupils in terms of what's going on there. So, so if, you, if you think about attachment and trauma, particularly attachment and insecure attachment, there's a, if you've not seen it and if you've not done trauma-informed training, then you won't maybe not see it. There's a thing called the still face experiment. And if you watch the still face experiment with a toddler and, and it's engaging with its mother and really, really happy, and the mum turns away, and this is an eight toddler, and comes back and her face is still and she doesn't react at all. Within two minutes, the toddler is completely traumatized. I mean, to the point of physical distress, okay? And walk down the high street and look at those children trying to get the attention of their parents and all their parents are like this. And they're swiping and looking and they're on social media and those children aren't attention. And I can't prove that, but this tsunami has come in almost at the same time as we're seeing all this huge reliance on screens and things. And we're not giving those children what they need. And so it falls to the schools to do that. And that's where we start to train and to look at what it is we can do, what we can unpick with these. And again, I think that we can do a lot. So we, we provide training to mainstream schools on, um, and, and you, I, mean, I, 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 could send, I could send this to Georgie actually, she could circulate because we're doing it on Zoom so you could drop in. But we do things like um, therapeutic play, therapeutic music, things you can use and do, but we also do um, sensory seeking, sensory avoiding behaviors. And a lot of those kids who you're seeing who are disrupting your classes can be treated relatively quickly and relatively simply. And they can be calmed down and come back to that calm alert state, you know, that we're looking for. Not all, but there's an awful lot out there who you could, instead of spending, I don't know if you do the same in England and Wales, people talk about hours. So they get awarded hours for kids. So you strap on a, you strap on a support worker. So basically the, the pupil, the child can go off and do their thing somewhere else where they're not disrupting everybody. And it's almost like respite work, but if that child is constantly rocking or constantly spinning, for instance, as an example, we can treat that. We can prevent that. We can stop that. You know, we can return that child back to a classroom to engage with you. So, so I think, um, and, and I, but I, I equally, I do know that there are a lot of children there with high needs and not enough provision, and we're seeing it across Wales. So the expansion that's happening here is expanding in every single, um, just about every single authority in Wales. Or if it's not happening, they know it's coming. Uh, and I hear from my colleagues um, in, in SEND in, in England, the same thing's happening. Um, and we need to get a grip on it and governments need to get a grip on it because these kids are expensive. You know, they're going to suck all the, the, suck the resource out of the system. And I think basically we've got to have the resources, training and the information to do better with them earlier and sooner so we can, we can do some preventative work. That's a big one though, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? That's like change a system, but I could give it a go maybe next week. I think, I, I think it's, it's I think it's, it's I think it's uh, Chris for PM at the moment definitely from the from the comments that I have done here that's the rudest thing anyone said to me all day <laughs> I've got uh, Rachel she's uh, she's just shared that she's uh, really excited because she's going to be joining the new PRS PRU school when it's built okay. um, and can't wait for the opportunity she's waving um, lovely comment here. Um, I'd love to work for you, but live in Cardiff. We need someone like you here. So pleased to have joined. Um, 
Rachel, John, I love working with SEND. There's a 22 month wait in lists for neurology ADHD assessments in my LA. So, so pupils are not getting the provision they deserve. That's crazy, isn't it? 22 months. Um, and that's fairly standard, actually. Is it? That's fairly standard. You know, the weights and the weights with cams are terrible. We're, we're now going to employ a clinical psychologist into our outreach team because we've got we got young, you know, young people waiting 18 months for a cams appointment. We're opening up a high anxiety class in September for, um, and it's usually girls, strangely, um, who are in key stage three and four, just haven't been to school for two years, too anxious to go to school self-harming eating disorders so we're opening up a class for them in september there's another need but yeah and, and they they are breaking my heart I, I go to a panel a social emotional mental health panel and you just think they're sat at home waiting for this appointment and they're 14 15 and if we're not careful their school days are going to be over and we've lost them yeah. you know so i'm trying to you know we just try and the authority are very good here actually will listen and say oh go on then we'll give it a go you know do it as cheaply as possible but you know give it a go chris so but yeah waiting lists are just just horrendous yeah absolutely for anything really even for assessments it's a long time that's uh, that's that's half a schooling isn't it mm. anita eep anita did you want to ask your question i think i kind of covered it off a bit but... yeah yeah suggesting for teachers in mainstream schools to yeah. help children yeah um any advice for anyone looking to get into education special educational needs what qualification and qualities do you look for okay so um if you're going to be a teacher just teaching qualification yeah uh and if you're going to be support staff um crikey got all sorts here i, I mean i, I we, we, we you know you 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 need to be literate and numerate that's always a plus but you know um but actually Great people who like kids. And like that, that sounds easy, doesn't it? You know, how many of you have met teachers who clearly don't like children and you know, pupils? They just clearly don't. I just, just say, what are you doing? You must be so sad and unhappy every single day. You know, you clearly don't like them at all. You know, unless somehow being horrible to them is what makes you feel great every day. You know, so um, I think, um, yeah, we, 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 as I say, we, we've interviewed now 80 for support staffs and, and that's been everything from people with degrees to just people with, you know, level one qualifications or whatever, you know, and people who've got a little bit of experience, but actually put in an application for them, think we'd like to come and do this. And we put on, um, you know, MVQ level three training and things like that for people. We train people when they arrive here anyway. You just need a you just need a positive mindset. You just want to just want to have to be here, really. You just want to want to be in a school, you know. Um, that's simple, isn't it? I think so. That ticks the box. <laughs> Absolutely. Where do I sign, Chris? Where do I sign? <laughs> Bless you. We're, we're going to start wrapping up now because uh, I'm, I'm well aware that there's uh, some excitement happening with the football. Um, but I'm hugely grateful, Chris. I think it, it speaks volumes that you've managed to attract uh, about 50 people when there's a stiff competition with Federer and Germany. Um, but seriously, some of your stories really, really impact me quite, quite significantly. And I think also, you know, everybody else here is thrilled for your time. You're a busy man and you make such a difference. Um, and we will champion everything that you do um so uh thank you very much chris and thank you for your time thank you.